0: thank you pastor let me join the preacher and welcome you to the service tonight I'm glad you're here if you hadn't shown up we couldn't have a service so I'm glad you came I don't know that there are any visitors here but if you are a visitor we're certainly delighted to have you If your first time visitor I want to encourage you to come back you're the pastor you have a tremendous pastor at this church you've had a tremendous pastor for years you still have a tremendous pastor And I tell you, it's an honor to be here and to be in this pulpit. Anyway, it's not my intention to preach a long sermon tonight. I really feel like we're going to, just to help your feelings, I really think we'll get out tonight. I just have a good feeling about it. I um, heard about one church. I don't know if I've told you this or not. I've been here so many times, but I heard about this church that had a long-winded preacher. Twelve o'clock meant nothing to him. And uh, his church was very friendly. And I figured it out, I didn't read this, but I figured it out, he preached so hard and so long he kept the devil preached out of everybody and so they were nice people. But he always told his people, said, now don't you dare let a visitor come here and you, don't make, and, and you fail to go to them and make conversation with them and personally, make them feel welcome and uh, welcome to come back. So one lady, I spotted another lady who was there obviously for the first time and She said to herself, as soon as the last amen is said, I'm I'm going to that lady. And she did. As she approached her, she had her hand stuck out. My name is Gladys Dunn. And uh, she didn't know the visiting lady, couldn't hear well. And the visiting lady looked at her kind of inquisitively for a few moments and said, yes, I'm glad he's Dunn too. (laughs) Anyway, I guess I ought to tell you tonight that um, we started our meetings this year on January the 1st, and we've had very little open time this year. And uh, because of that, uh, we get weary. And uh, just to be honest with you, I'm kind of weary tonight. And uh, sometimes when that happens, if I'm really tired, I'll say something that doesn't really fit, but I'll catch it and correct it. If I'm really tired, I don't even catch it. If my wife's here after the service, she says, you know what you said tonight? And I said, no, what? <laughs> so you'll know how tired I am depending on how I preach tonight. I'm going I'm to read tonight from Galatians chapter 5. I preach Sunday morning on the reiteration of the gospel from chapter 1, the perversion of the gospel from chapter 1, Sunday night. And protecting the gospel, Monday night from chapter 2, of faith in the gospel, Tuesday night, last night, uh, from chapter 3. And tonight I'm going to read from chapter 5. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. There are 26 verses here, but I don't think it's necessary that I do that. So I'm going to extract a few verses, if you'd follow with me. I'm going to read verse one first of all. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And drop down to verse 13. For, brethren, you have been called unto liberty, and only use not liberty as for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. With that, I want us to bow our heads now and pray again. Father in heaven, thank you for the good service we've already enjoyed tonight. Truly, we could leave now and say we've been blessed. Because we have, but we're down to the most important part. And I pray that you would help me tonight to preach a message in good time and make the points well and uh, get out of here in a reasonable time tonight. And I pray for any decision and every decision that should be made, that it will be made. And nobody would leave here tonight with a burdened heart unnecessarily. And Lord, should there be unsaved people here tonight, though I'm not particularly preaching to the unsaved, I pray that they would come and trust Christ as Savior. And uh, for other decisions, it should be made that they would be made. And all of us could exclaim when the service is over that it was, it was good and God did something for us. Now, Lord, help me love these people as I preach to them once again, as if I myself were their pastor. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But we have an introduction. I'm going to go back to chapter 4. And uh, there are three things that bring us up to the message. And I, don't, I want to preach here, provide somewhat of a backdrop for it. In chapter 4 and the message here in chapter 5, first of all, we see the dilemma we were in. There are two things we were in bondage to. Uh, number one, we were in bondage to the law of sin. Chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible said this. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And that's what that really means. Uh, actually, when before you got saved, you were at the mercy of the world and the flesh and the devil, whether you realized it or not. Matter of fact, most of us probably didn't realize that, but we were at the mercy of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and uh, weren't even aware of that. The devil had some, he pulled the, pulled the strings in our lives quite a bit before Jesus came into the picture. And uh, that word law, I guess you notice that word law there in verse, uh, verse 3, chapter 4 and verse 3, um, the, the word law actually means a permanent and variable rule. Uh, for instance, in uh, Romans 7:21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. A permanent, invariable rule. And Paul was very specific about this. Uh, to be more specific about it, uh, what he's really telling us is we were dead in sin, and we were. And we didn't realize that either. You remember what he said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and following, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin." Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had a conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Uh, we were dead spiritually, but contrary to what the Calvinists say, we were alive physically and emotionally. Uh, you know, the Calvinist says, uh, we were dead spiritually. We were dead. They say dead men can do nothing. That's why they don't believe anybody ever wanted to be saved or could be saved, that God had to overrule them and save them against their will even. But the Bible said in 1 Timothy 5, verse 6, she that liveth in pleasure, and I get this, she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Now, that tells us something, folks. That tells us that a person can be dead in one aspect and alive in another. And uh, and she can she was making decisions, even bad decisions. She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. But not only were we dead in sin, we were doomed because of that. And not only that, but we were destined for hell. Aren't you glad you're not on the road to hell tonight, man? That's that's not that's shouting ground, isn't it? And especially going to be that way when it, when it, uh, judgment looms up in front of you, and you know that you, that's how you got there. Amen. Anyway, we were dead in sin, and we were doomed, and we were destined for hell. But we were in bondage to the law. Uh, Verse 5 said, to redeem them that were under the law. Um, Chapter 4 and verse 5 says that. Romans 3, 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall uh, shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What does that mean, preacher? It means the law could diagnose us, but it couldn't deliver us. And that's why I said the other night in our soul winning we need to utilize the law somewhat in our our presentation because that's what gets people lost. See, the law is the schoolmaster. It's kind of like a mirror uh, that you just hold up a mirror and it shows exactly what you are. And that's what the law does. It shows us as unsaved individuals. It shows us exactly what we are. And there's no questions about it. No, No argument can be made. It shows us precisely and exactly what we are. So we see the dilemma we're in. Notice, secondly, we see the deliverance we received. Two things. We, listen, we have been redeemed. We have been redeemed. Say people use that word redeemed in the past tense because we can. Matter of fact, we use the word save in the past tense. Uh, I'm not, I know it's not all together in the Bible that way, but, but we've been saved. Uh, we've been redeemed. We're not being redeemed. We have been re- See, being redeemed means that it's up to us. You know, works are involved in that. But I'm going to tell you that business of works is past when you meet Jesus Christ. Once he comes in, the works things for salvation is concerned is past. Let me give you some verses here. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible said, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, what was the Bible saying? Galatians 3.13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, "Curses is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And there are a lot of verses. Colossians 1 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Thank God our sins are passed, folks. <laughs> And uh, all of us know John 3:16, for God so loved the world. We know that verse. What about John 3, 7? Not everyone knows John 3:17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. Thank God for Jesus. But notice something else. We've not only have we been redeemed, we have been made just or justified in the sight of a holy God. Romans 3, 24 says this, being justified freely, Father, his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Titus 3, 7 says it like this, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Bible, I mentioned this first, the First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. After Paul had mentioned about a half dozen, correction, about 10 or 11 things that characterize the typical worldly in verses 9 and 10. In verse 11, he said this, and such were some of you, but now you're washed, now you're, uh, you're justified, sanctified, now you're justified, and so forth. Uh, folks, that's good knowledge to know. Uh, you know. You know, you'd be amazed if we could just realize the uncertainty that religious people live in America that do not know what we know about the Bible. I mean, every single day they worry, if I die, I wonder if things are going to be all right. I just hope my good deeds out. That's not a good way to live, folks. (laughs) I'm glad it's passed for us. Once you've you've trusted Christ as Savior, you don't have to worry about that anymore. There there may be some things you need to be concerned about, but that's not one of them. And thank God. We see the dilemma we were in. We see the deliverance we've received. We also see the difference we experienced. Two things to be impressed by. We are now sons who weren't before See, the liberals get a warm, fuzzy feeling by reminding one another, you know, we're all sons of God. <laughs> you know the problem with that? It's not so. <laughs> That's the only problem that has to be with that, amen. And uh, God calls us several things in the Bible that I'm impressed with. He calls us soldiers. <laughs> the Bible said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're soldiers. Uh, and listen, and while, we're, while I'm there, we are in a battle. Uh, we're in a war. And uh, I believe, Pastor, I really believe that I've met a few characters along the way that if I had told them they'd get in a good fight as they got saved, that they went ahead and trusted Christ as Savior. <laughs> you know, some people looking for a fight. But boy, you can find it when you get saved. We're soldiers. We're not of that. We are servants. You know what, Jude? The first thing Jude said, this half-brother of Jesus, Jude the servant of Jesus Christ. James, half hey, brother, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's what we are. We are servants. Know that, we are stewards. What is that, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, moreover is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Uh, you, know, you know the criteria God's going to judge you by at the judgment seat of Christ. He's not going to judge you on how much money you gave to the church, although you ought to give all you can. He's not going to judge you on how many souls you've led to Christ, although you ought to lead all you can. He's going to judge us on whether we've been faithful in our giving and faithful in our witnessing. He doesn't hold us responsible for people getting saved, but he does hold us responsible about witnessing to them. And uh, we're going to be judged as stewards before the Lord. And I'll tell you, folks, if you look at me right now, You'll get some of this excited about the prospect of the rapture, but I've never had one exciting thought about the judgment seat of Christ. Not one. And man, it's a sobering thing to think about. I have surmised, Pastor, that, that perhaps I'm going to end up behind somebody like Lester Roloff. But if I do, you can have my place. <laughs> I'll be glad. I know some people I want to get behind, you know. I have this thing in the mind figured out going to be lined up single file and he's gonna hit us one at a time you know boom 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 boom. and uh, and so forth I don't want to be behind somebody like Lester Roloff or John Rice or somebody like that I have some people I want to get behind amen used to be members of my church where I pastored. (laughs) I'll tell you something else it's not quite as clear but we're depicted as sprinters in a race Hebrews 12 1 amen we're in a race in addition to that, we're depicted as students in study, and I could elaborate on those. But we're, I'm sitting on that. So this, we're also called sons. Chapter four, verse six in Galatians said, because you're sons." God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And the Bible said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we shall be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, verse 2, beloved. Now are we the sons of God, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. Amen. Folks, we have a privileged position. We're sons of God. And it's humbling to even think about that. But there are three things that this, made this a reality and a comfort to us. Uh, and I'll give you those and I'll get to my message shortly. Uh, first of all, it's because of the will of God. It is God's will. Galatians 1, 4, who gave himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this evil world according to the will of God and our Father, the will of God. It was God's will that we got saved. By the way, it's God's will that unsaved people get saved. The ones that are not saved, it's still his will they get saved, according to the Bible. You know what Jesus said in John 6:40? This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth in him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. 2 Peter 3:9 The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men counseling slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, by the way, God meant what he said when he said that. Uh, regardless of what the Calvinists believe about it, God meant what he said, and it's very easy to understand what he said. But it's the will of of God's matter. And know that we are the work of Christ. You know what Jesus said in John 9, 4? I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. And in John 17, verse 4, he said this, I have glorified thee on the earth, when he was praying, by the way, that great priestly prayer, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. You know what he said on the cross of Calvary in John 9, 19 and verse 30? He said, uh, it is finished, and he yielded up the ghost. Do you know what Jesus did? He did something nobody else could ever do, that is yield up Now, you can blow your brains out and end your life, but you can't just yield up your spirit. Now, I'm sure at least most of us have been in a position somewhere along the way where we'd love to have just died, but it didn't work. Amen. But it did with Jesus. We have the will of God involved in this. We have the work of Christ involved. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit. 1 John four thirteen. Hereby I know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 9, Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Listen, folks. God has already dealt with us as sinners. He will never do that again. He is dealing with us now as sons. At the judgment seat of Christ, he will deal with us as servants. And we'll be rewarded accordingly. Matter of fact, I'm not preaching that tonight, but I'm going to tell you something about the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, salvation is by grace through faith, plus or minus nothing. But rewards at the judgment seat are not by the grace of God, they are for services rendered. And if you serve God well, God's faithfully, He is faithfully going to reward you. And uh, last I heard, He was pretty well healed. Amen. <laughs> We don't know. I think good fathers like to surprise their children, and I think our Father in Heaven falls into that category. So Here's something else. We are now heirs. Not only are we sons, we are now heirs. Verse 7 of chapter 4 said, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. See, an heir by definition is one who is entitled to inherit. And we've inherited something. <laughs> uh, I could take off on that. We've inherited three things particularly. We've been, we're heirs of salvation. If you're born again, you're, you've, you're an heir of salvation. And the Bible calls it yours. Right, How does that go in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, In whom also after you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, and so on. We're heirs of salvation. Not only that, we're heirs of righteousness. Second Corinthians five twenty-one: We have made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We're not only heirs of salvation righteousness; we're heirs of the promises. And boy, that really gets wild. To be more specific, we're heirs of a pardon. By the way, you weren't acquitted; you were pardoned. See, an acquittal's a little ambiguous. An acquittal doesn't necessarily mean you're innocent or guilty. You could be acquitted because somebody messed with the evidence or a witness didn't show up or something like that. And, uh, and so you had to be acquitted. But you know what a pardon means? It means you were guilty, you deserved the penalty, and if you would got justice, you would have paid the penalty. But it also means this. Praise God, it means this. Someone has paid the penalty for you. <laughs> you never have to pay that. We're to the promises of a pardon. And uh, also of perpetuity. This thing's not gonna run out. Folks, we have eternal life. I like to call it a precious commodity of eternal significance called everlasting life, not temporary life. If you're born again, you're not on probation. Amen. Aren't you glad to hear that? You know, if I'd have been dispensing salvation, I've met a few characters. I said, I'm going to give you a couple of weeks worth of it and see how you do. But God didn't do that. He said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. You know what that says in the Greek? Same thing. (laughs) Same thing. We're in the promise of pardon, the promise of perpetuity. John 10, 28, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And my Father which gave them is greater than the Lord. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And we also heirs to the promise of peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you, not as the world giveth give, it, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, God's will for you is that you not live with a troubled heart. Um, and let me tell you this, since I'm there. And since you brought this up, um, it's not right for you to come to church and dump your cares on somebody here if you're not willing to cast them on Jesus. First Peter five six, Humble says. Therefore, unto the mighty hand of God, you may exalt you tend casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Any pastor that's been in the church very long knows who not to ask on Sunday morning. How did your week go? Because they'll give you the letdown. Especially right before preaching, you don't want to do that. But listen, the heirs of promises, the promise of pardon, promise of perpetuity, promise of peace, promise of protection. Listen, if you're born again, you're under the protective hand of God. You know what God said in 1 Corinthians 10 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that. Ye able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escaped that you may be able to bear it. You know what that means? That means if your eyes are on Jesus, and it's in that framework, folks. If you have your eyes on Christ, you're trying to live for Jesus. He said, I won't let it happen. The devil's not going to trip you up. If you have your eyes on Jesus, God's promised he's going to protect you. He's not going to let you sub- be subjected to something you can't deal with with his help. And that's good to know, isn't it? We also have the promise of provision. I like Matt. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Matthew 6 but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I want to tell you something about things, folks. God doesn't mind you possessing things. What he's bothered by is when things possess us. Sometimes you're knocking on doors out you're visiting and you'll meet somebody that says, uh, Preacher, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I'm working three jobs trying to keep my head above the water. I don't have time for the church. means I don't have time for God. You know what they're saying in the field of phraseology? I'm working myself to death at the expense of putting Jesus first and letting him provide the things. I'm working myself to death trying to provide the things myself. Uh, It's much better to let God do that and put him first in your life. And uh, and by the way, we need things. We need things. Uh, You need transportation in this world we're living in. Uh, You need appliances in your houses in this world we're living in. And uh, you you need a house to live in. You need things. And God doesn't mind that. Matter of fact, he said, I'll take care of the things if you'll put me first in your life. And listen, folks, I can tell you from my wife and myself, God has taken care of us. And I'm humble when I say that. I'm as humble as I know how to say that. I'm saying that. God has taken care of us. Anyway, for the message, I want to move on to chapter 5 now. And because of who we are and what we are, there are three subjects that must be soberly considered, and I want to center my thoughts around those if you're making notes. First of all, we must consider liberty. The Bible said in verse 1 of this chapter, chapter 5, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. See, we are. We're not under the law of sin anymore. We're not under the law of ordinances anymore. The world thinks we're in bondage, and they're free, when in fact we're free and they're in bondage. You know what the Bible said, second Peter two nineteen: while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. Boy, the devil's pulled a good one on the world, folks. Was it Revelation 12:9 who deceiveth the whole world? Uh, the devil has them thinking they're free and we're bound when in fact he has them bound and we're free. But I, preacher, don't you know that Paul had to spend a lot of time in prison? I know he was in prison, but I guarantee you one thing, you never met a freer prisoner than Paul was. The devil. I, I was reading about the devil persecuting Paul and I got the feeling sorry for the devil. It wasn't working, amen. <laughs> Lock him up in a palace, he wins everybody in there to Christ. Put him in a dungeon. He wins everyone in here in distance to the Lord. We're going to take his hand. Then he had to hear Paul say, For I'm now ready to be offered. Time now departures and I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge you commit that day. Not to me only, but to all them that love his (laughs) appearance. Don't you know the devil's glad when that ordeal was finally over? There are three things to think about here. There's the price of liberty. Verse one Christ hath made us free. Uh, it wasn't the church. Uh, it wasn't our good living. It wasn't something we achieved. Christ has made us free. Amen. <laughs> the price was great. Matter of fact, when you think about that, there are four things come into the picture. One is submission to his Father's will. You know what the Bible said in Galatians 1 4, who gave himself? 1 Timothy 2 6, who gave himself? Titus 2.14, who gave himself, gave himself, gave himself. He was not forced into this. Matter of fact, at the last moment, I think he could have gotten out if he'd wanted to. The three impressive things relative to salvation here are the Father, and listen, keep this in mind, the Father initiated this thing, verse uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Father initiated this, the Son provided salvation, and the Holy Spirit dispenses salvation. And uh, listen, I finally said something profound. Somebody make a note of that. (laughs) There was his submission to the Father. There was his substitution in our place. The Bible said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, but God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. God has not appointed us to wrath. Uh, Jesus Christ died so that we would not have to face the wrath of God. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of yesteryear, on his deathbed, now I don't know whether this was the last thing he said, but on his deathbed, he made this statement to one of his friends. My theology now is very narrow. Jesus died for me. That's what you have to know. If you don't know anything else, you need to know that before you go off into eternity. Jesus died for me, he said. There was the substitution in our place. There was also the shame on our behalf, Galatians 3.13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. There was that, that matter of shame that went along with that. There's also the sacrifice in our stead was that Hebrews ten ten by the which we were sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, verse 12, but this man when he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, verse 14, for by one offering he had perfected ever them that are sanctified. I want to tell you folks, Jesus did it all. We are on the receiving end of this. Thank God we are. There was the price of liberty. There was the position of our liberty. Three things we're uh, we're free from. We're free from condemnation. I've quoted some of these verses before, but I'll do it again. Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We're free from condemnation. We're free from the power of sin. Listen, a lot of Christians don't know that or either don't believe it. But sin has no power over you. Now, the devil tell you it does. I mean, uh, somebody gets saved, the devil, he'll confront them essentially like this. You know, you're saved. You know that? You say, yeah, I'm got, I, I got saved. Uh, no, you're, you're not just saved. You are saved. Huh? You're saved. You're saved. But I'm going to tell you something. This ground over here in your life is mine. You can't have it. The devil tells unsaved people that there's something here in your life that's mine and you can't have it. Don't even mess with it. It's mine. But I'm going to tell you, when you get saved, the devil has no ground in your life. He owns. He doesn't own a thing in your life once you're born again. You belong to Jesus. Amen. <laughs> the Bible said in Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, Romans 6, 2. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You know what Paul's saying? How can you do it? You have victory over sin. How can you live in sin? I tell you, the only way it happens is the devil gets you convinced that he has the authority and you don't. But the devil has no authority in your life once you're saved. I like what he said in Romans 6, 18. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Did you hear that verse? Being made free from sin. You know what that means? No sin has power or authority over you. So preacher, there's just some things in my life I just can't give up. No, there isn't. If you'll turn it over to God, put it in his hands, you can, get, you can get over anything that you've been having to deal with in your life. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. We're free from condemnation. We're free from the power of sin. We're free from the wrath to come. John 3, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. But the one that believes in Christ is freed from that. You don't have to worry about the wrath of God if you're in Christ. Matter of fact, Paul tested on that First 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, when he said to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. You don't have to go home and worry tonight about the wrath that's coming because it's not going to if you going again. <laughs> that's why I quoted 1 Thessalonians 5 9 a while ago. For God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation. Uh, I think you can apply that to the tribulation time as well as eternity. You know what the Bible said in what is it, Revelation 3.10? Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep there from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to trial them which dwell upon the earth. In different words, he's saying, I'm going to keep you from the wrath that the world's going to have to suffer. You're going to miss that. Uh, listen, folks, I, I've gotten convinced a long time ago, a long time ago, I got convinced that one of these days there's going to be a trumpet sound so loud, it's going to wake up the dead in Christ. And about the time they wake, they're wakened up, we're going to be changed in the moment and the twinkling of an eye. Now, where I came from in Alabama, that's fast, man. Sinus says 150th part of a second. That's fast, brother. <laughs> I mean, we're going to be out of here. I have an idea. Sometimes I get to think, you know, up in heaven, there uh, must be some tension up there around the throne about now because we know it's getting close. And, and uh, one of these days, the father's going to say to the son, it's time to go get the bride. Zoom, he's gone. Zoom, he's back. <laughs> in the moment, the twinkle of an eye, we're going to be changed and called up to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. There's the price of liberty. There's the position. There's the problem of liberty. Liberty is not a license. Can I make that announcement? Liberty is not a license. A license to sin. Uh, There's two things to think about in relation to that. One is there is caution about liberty, the abuse of it. See the antinomians in Galatians did abuse it I'll preach more about those maybe tomorrow night but those antinomians believe that their sins run of the blood of Christ past present and future and they're right about that but they believe because of that they have more no moral responsibility to God uh, because our sins past present and future are under the blood of Christ it doesn't matter how we live and that's not so and they were abusing that and Paul had to deal with that and uh, I think he dealt there with it real well But he warned us about this in verse 13 when he said, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty, only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Peter warned us about it in 1 Peter 2, 16, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. You know what? You got saved. You have liberty and freedom to walk in this world, but you're not supposed to use that and misuse and abuse that. I'll talk more about that tomorrow night, I guess. But anyway, there's the caution. And then there's the consideration of weak Christians. So we have liberty, and, uh, and Paul was pretty specific about this. We're not supposed to take advantage of, of weak Christians over things that they think perhaps, that they're offended by, uh, and we're, not, we're supposed to live in such a way that we don't offend people even if what they're talking about is not a sin. Uh, what is it... Um, 1 Corinthians 8, 13, where Paul said, Wherefore, if meat offend my brother, I'll eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now what he's talking about is they offered those sacrifices there at Corinth, those those idol gods, and that meat would not be consumed and be offered in the sacrifice, but it was still good meat. And it wasn't a sin to eat it. There was nothing wrong with that meat. But those new Christians thought it was because it had been offered in a sacrifice to the idol gods. And if you as a Christian ate that, then they're offended at you because they thought you've you've sinned against the Lord. Paul made it clear that's not a sin. But he said, if they think it is, I'm not going to eat any meat. By the way, if everybody turns against grits, I'm not giving them up. Amen. Say, preacher, I, I don't want any grits. Never eaten any grits? You ought to try one sometime. 1 <laughs> Corinthians 8 and 9 said this, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. You know what the Bible said in 1 Thessalonians 5 22? Abstain from all appearance of evil. It might not be evil. But if it's going to be a stumbling block to some weak Christian, abstain from all appearance of evil. And what the Bible says in uh, Hebrews 12 1 Wherefore, seeing we're also we compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. And let's run with patience the brazen Some things are weights, but they're not sins. But uh, if you're going to be a discreet Christian, you're going to be sensitive about that because people are watching your life so we must consider liberty we also must consider love look at verse 13 and 14 and 15 for brethren you've been called unto liberty only use not liberty in the occasion of the flesh verse 14 for all the law is fulfilled in word, word even this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself verse 15 but if you bite and devour one another take heed that you may not consume one of another there are three things that emanate from those verses particularly to verse 13 one is this We're to be serving one another. We're to be servants toward each other. Verse 13, but by love serve one another. Now, if that were the only time that was in the Bible, it would still count. Amen. We're to serve one another. Um, There's a poem that goes, it's called Others. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel and pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the things I do to ever be sincere and true and to know that all I would do for you must need be done for others. Let's help be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain may efforts be to rise again. And when my work on earth is done and my new work in heaven is begun may I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be, help me to live for others that I may live like thee. Um, you should have clapped, I got through it without missing anything. But we're to serve one another. Jesus set the example, didn't he? He did two things in John chapter 13. He demonstrated it and declared it. As a matter of fact, in verses 1 through 17, you'll remember this. He laid aside his outer garments, took a basin of water, got down on his knees, and washed the disciples' feet. Do you know why he did that? He did that to serve them, to submit himself to them because he loved them. That was a demonstration. By the way, in those days, they didn't have shoes like we have. They had sandals, if they had anything at all. And uh, they didn't have any paved streets much, you know, like we have. Everything's paved around here. Uh, When they arrived at a host's home, their feet were going to be dirty. And uh, the host, very often, would take a basin of water and wash their feet for them. It was a humbling, uh, boy, it's a very humbling experience, even still today. Still humbling today. Uh, But anyway, that's what that was about. As among other things. But he demonstrated that by washing their feet. He submitted himself to them. He served them out of his love for them. And then he declared it in verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give given you that you love one another. So I have loved you that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have loved one for another. Let me put it in the field of phraseology. The people out there will decide the people in here are disciples of him up there. If they see that we love each other. Conversely, if the people out there see that we don't love each other, the people out there will decide that we're not disciples of him up there. That's what that means. Every time a church has a little myth or, you know, get tipped or whatever, uh, every time the church has something like that, it sets it back in its influence in the community. Say, well, it was just here at the church. The devil will make sure people hear about it. it. It'll get out. And some churches, they do it regularly. Just ever so often they have a little a little split, you know, and so forth. And uh, you know, you know what the Bible said in Proverbs thirteen ten: "Only by pride cometh contention." Now he didn't say the majority of the time, did he? He said in every case, if you ever start a ripping in your church, God said, "I've already diagnosed your problem. It's pride." That's why you have a pastor, folks. That's why you said, well, uh, the people who run the church and the pastor can do the preaching. That never has worked. It never will work. Do you know you folks can't do anything because every one of you are different? I was preaching in a church up in Nova Scotia several years ago. And uh, I think it's the last night of the meeting, and I preached a pretty stiff message that night. But anyway, I said, some churches get split up over the color of the carpet. Boy, it got quiet. Having had experiences in evangelist, I paddled out of that area as quick as I could. <laughs> Only to learn after the service that recently bought new carpet and it almost split the church. <laughs> Thank God you don't have windows that need drapes. And you don't want to buy drapes in a church, amen. <laughs> I was preaching down in one Robbins, Georgia, and this uh, associate pastor said, I want you to go with me to meet a man. So they've just built a beautiful fan shaped building over here as a black church. And he said, He's my friend. I want you to go over and see their new building. I said, Well, let's go. We go over there and knock on his door. He opens the door and looks down on us. He was entitled to. He stood about six foot sixteen. He wanted to know what we wanted. We've come to look at your new building. Boy, he's glad. He's all smiles. He wants to show us the building. He leads us into the auditorium. Beautiful fan shaped building. finished out in shades of burgundy. I said, Preacher, I just want to commend you on the color scheme in here. It's beautiful. He said, Yeah. I asked my people what color carpet to get. And some wanted orange and some wanted blue and some wanted green. He said, I thought I'd started the Vietnam War all over again. He said, I told my people, we're going to let God pick out our carpet. <laughs> Came up with burgundy. It just it didn't have a thing to do with it. That was his favorite but it didn't have anything to do with that. Listen, somebody has to make the final decision. And, uh, and see, if the pastor has to put up with you folks, he ought to get to make some decisions every once in a while. Amen. <laughs> you know, you don't like to put up with a crowd like you. Listen, I was teasing with you mostly. <laughs> oh, my, where was I? And how did we get off on that? Serving one another. He declared that. And by the way, he talks about loving. Look at verse 14. Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. Do you know that two of the greatest commandments in our Bible involve that? Remember, the scribe asked the Lord in Mark chapter 12, which is the greatest commandment of all? You know what he said? Verse 30 and 31. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and that's for this one, but I'm going to give you it too. The second is like namely this thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Amen. Loving Jesus with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbors yourself, you can't improve on that. <laughs> anyway, where was I? To the great by the way, and be subject one to another, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Verse 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. You know what the Bible says in Romans 12, 10? Be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Do you, do you know what humility is? Humility is the very opposite of pride. And Here's why I say that. Pride essentially is this. High opinion of me and my opinions and low opinion of you. You know what humility is? Low opinion of me and high opinion of thee. Well, that's practical, but it gets the point across, doesn't it? Um, Somebody said, well, it's going to be my way or the highway. You know what their problem is? Pride. And pride, listen, pride has been a problem for Christians for ages. We have to battle that. And we have to deal with that. Anyway, by the way, that church at Carmel had a problem with it, didn't it? I told you about them the other day. But notice, we're to consider this matter of liberty, we're to consider the matter of love. What about considering the matter of lust? Look at verse 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would And I'll just say this about it. Number one, there's the caution about the flesh. There are many cautions in the Bible about the flesh. Verse 16 is one. This I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, Um, so preacher, how do you deal with lust? I want to get to be a good enough Christian that I don't have lust to deal with. You're not going to get there. As long as you live in this present body, you're going to have the lust of the flesh to deal with in one way or another and to some degree or another. Some people have more struggles in one area and some some in another area, but nevertheless, it's there. But you know what the Bible said? You know what Paul is saying? He says, if you put it in God's hands, then he knows how to deal with it. Uh, That's what verse 16 is all about. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You put it in God's hands, you can have victory over the lust of the flesh, but you'll never have victory in your own abilities Matter of fact, the Bible said in Matthew 26, 41, Watch and pray, the inner not in the temptation. The spirit and the deed is willing, but the flesh is weak. John 6, three: the flesh profiteth nothing. You know, your flesh is just as unregenerated now as it was the day before you got saved. Right. Now, we're going to get a glorified body, but listen, we haven't got it yet. Amen? <laughs> I thought about David. The Bible said in Acts 13, about David, a man after God's own heart. Let me tell you what a man after God's own heart did. He took another man's wife, committed adultery with her, and had her husband killed in the battle in a, in a, a, a scheme—I guess you'd call it—conspiracy with Joab. A man after God's own heart did that. Preacher, can you explain that? Yes. One word: flesh. You know what? You know why David got into trouble? He was in the wrong place at the wrong time and he shouldn't have been there. He's responsible for what he did but he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. His flesh got the upper hand in his life. That's what happened. And David resented that. He hated it the rest of his life. I mean, the price was great. It cost him that infant son. It cost him Amnon. It cost him Absalom. It cost him his throne for a while. And even his wives were, 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 were raped on the top of the same building probably where David stood and saw Bathsheba and desired and took her. You know, Absalom took over the throne and put David's wives up there, set up a tent, and he went in unto those wives in the, in the sight of all Israel. Um, would you call that reaping what you sow? you could call it that David you know let me say this about David you know what the Bible said in Galatians 6 1 brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault ye which are spiritual restore such one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself lest thou also be tempted Um, there's a difference in being overtaken in a fault and going out there premeditatedly to look for sin to fall into. David was not out there looking for sin to fall into, but he was responsible because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He shouldn't have been out there. He's supposed to have been out in the battle, as a matter of fact. Uh, as a Christian, you can get under the wrong influence and do some things you'll regret the rest of your life. And listen, people do that. There are people here tonight, without a doubt, you've done some things since you got saved. You really wish you could go back and change that, but you can't do it. We're talking about the flesh. Um, overtaken. Influence. You're not going to be overtaken if, you're not, if you don't jeopardize yourself being in the wrong place under the wrong influences and at the wrong time. You're not going to be overtaken. Because we have a facility that gives us victory over sin. Romans 6.2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead descend sin believe it longer there yet. It doesn't have to happen, but you get in the wrong place, it can happen. But notice, there are many, there are many cautions here. Uh, none of that, but there's the contrary nature of the flesh, verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other. You know what Paul said in Romans 7.18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present but how to perform that which is good I find not. Let me give you a verse. Now, some of you won't know who said this, but I will tell you. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest by any means. When I preach to others, I myself should be cast away. Would you like to know who said that? Some of you know, I'm sure. One of the greatest Christians in 2,000 years said that. It was the Apostle Paul. See, when Paul preached and talked about the flesh, he never talked down to us, folks. He, he talked like we're all in the same struggle. We're all having the same battles. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He said, I live every day, realizing I could lose my influence and my testimony if I got careless with my flesh. Hmm. Try not to get into tomorrow night's sermon (laughs) real easy at this point. There's that contrary nature. You know what the Bible said in Romans 7.21, 21, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Christ Jesus, so then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Listen, he wouldn't have had to set it any different to make it any clearer than that. There's the consolation concerning the flesh. You walk in the spirit, God <laughs> takes care of it. And, uh, and the, by the way, have you noticed how this runs in um, Galatians chapter 5 verse, verse 19, now the works of the flesh manifest which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, barriers, humiliations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, and it goes on and in verse 22, but the, work, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness temperance. I mean, it kind of puts those right there side by side. Notice the consequences of walking in the flesh. The Bible said in James 4 14, correction, James 1.14, um, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's what happened to David. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished." Bring it for death, and it doesn't matter how born again you are. I mean, you may be saved, sanctified, and petrified. I mean, your flesh isn't. Abraham reaped the consequences, didn't he? You know, Abraham listened to Sarah, because that promised son had not come yet. And Sarah said, Well, it'd be all right. So go ahead and take my handmaid here. And uh, he went in to her, and a son was born, Ishmael. And there's been war in the Middle East about ever since then. Can you imagine that? If Abraham had not done that, all the wars and the blood that's been shed in the Middle East might not have happened. By the way, two of the worst mistakes ever made in history was when a man listened to his wife. Is it safe to get back up yet? (laughs) Adam listened to Eve, didn't he? We've been in a mess ever since. By the way, you know why that's wrong? It's because it's not her call. It's not her call. Um, Listen, I was kidding. Mostly. (laughs) I just remembered we haven't received the love offering yet. (laughs) But I'm learning. But David suffered the consequences, he lost his joy. You know how I know that? He said so. Psalm 51, 12 Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and me with thy free spirit. When you lose your joy, you've lost something. He lost his purity. According to the Old Testament, the only real blotch on David's career was that deal with Bathsheba. That's what the Bible said. I'm sure he, wish he he lost his infant son. He lost Amnon. Absalom killed his son, Abnon. Uh, you know, Amnon raped his daughter, Tamar. Absalom said, I'm, I'm going to kill him if it's the last thing I ever do. And he did two years later. Two years later, he killed him. And then Absalom took over the throne. He lost the throne for a while to his own son. Finally, Absalom was murdered. Oh, joy, I put a stop to that, didn't he? What about Lot? Consequences. You know, you can choose your sin, but you can't choose the consequences. That's not your call. I have a sermon. I don't know if I preach it here or not. The title of it is Lot Lost a Lot. And he did. He lost his family. That's a lot. He lost his home. He lost his testimony. He lost his essence. You know, when, when, uh, when Lot took his family and went in the direction of Sodom, he was a wealthy man. There've been a lot of men who were wealthy and well taken care of as Christians, and they got off into sin and lost everything they had. A lot of men done that. I preach in Las Vegas about every year lately, and had one a thing. I tell you that. Of course, I hadn't lost anything either. Um, the rule out there is the house wins. But a man in the church told me this. He said, "You won't read about it because they don't publicize it much." What they do is they lead you on. They let you win for a while, and you think you're really on them. Uh, you're really on a roll, you know. And then uh, they'll ask for some big investments, and you lay something out there big, maybe like your motor home or your deed to your house or something. And you, you're on a roll, you can't lose. And and they get you. And a lot of times, I say a lot of times, from time to time, they'll go to the top of one of those buildings and jump to their death. That's consequences. He said, they don't publish it much because it's not good publicity for the gambling business. You know, I thought about Lot. Do you know Israel, the Israelites, probably hated Lot the rest of their lives because he was the father of his own grandchildren who became the progenitors of the Moabites and the Ammonites who became perpetual vicious enemies of the Israelites. You read the Old Testament, real often Israel's having trouble with the Israelites. Moabites and the Ammonites which wouldn't have been there had it not been for Lot you know his daughters got him drunk and evidently it didn't take long to do that probably wasn't much of an ordeal at all (laughs) anyway you've listened well I don't need to keep going with this I want you to stand it could be that God wants you to make a decision tonight it could be that God has spoken to you about something in your life that you personally need to bring to the Lord I'd recommend you do it tonight and go ahead and lay it on the altar and forget it. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word of God. I trust the Holy Spirit's used it tonight to be a help to us. And all of us can leave here tonight with a a light heart, a joyful heart, because we've done business with God. Have your will in every heart tonight is my prayer. Lord, if there's somebody here unsaved, help them to realize the urgent need of settling that matter. I trust they'll do it tonight, and I pray in Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and Christians are praying and the music continues, begins and continues. If God has spoken to your heart tonight, I encourage you to leave your seat, and come down and do business with the Lord.